So today we are going to continue our series uh, on marriage, and the series is called Relationship Status. And last week we talked about the love triangle. And so if you didn't hear last week's message, you can still uh, go back on Facebook. You can catch up if you want to find out what that's all about, the love triangle. Um, But this week we're going to continue that. We're going to do two more series on relationships. Um, And so this week and next week will be more centered on marriage itself. And then the last week will be centered on uh, single. So people that are single that, that, uh, that need to hear that message will have, will have one for you. I always hated whenever people would do a, a, a marriage or a relationship series and all they preach to is married people, but the church is full of married and single people. And so single people are like, what do I need? I'm not even supposed to be here. So uh, we're going to do something for singles too. Uh, but before we get started, I want to tell you a quick story. Um, you may be able to apply this to your life, some of you guys, uh, but there was a man one time that went to a doctor for himself, but if you guys know men, like ladies, you, you need to know this about men, we can't ever go to the doctor just for us, right guys? Like if we go to the doctor, if we go to the doctor, that's the first one, if we go to the doctor, when we go to the doctor, we will always throw in, I've got a buddy who, right? And, and my wife does this, and so we want to try to get some medical advice about everybody else as well. And so the man went to the doctor for himself, but he's concerned about his wife's hearing. He noticed that, that her hearing wasn't as good as it used to be. And so the doctor said, well, do this little test. He said, just stand behind her at, at a variety of distances and talk and, um, and see how far away it, it ta- or how close you have to get before she hears you. And so the guy goes home and, and his wife is in the kitchen and she's chopping up some you know, carrots and onions, and, and so the guy stands about, I don't know, like maybe 15 feet behind her, and he says, honey, what are we having for dinner? Nothing, nothing. So he moves up about 10 feet behind her, and he says, honey, what are we having for dinner? Nothing. Finally, he walks right up behind her, and he says, honey, what are we having for dinner? And she jumps a little bit and turns with the knife to him, and she said, I've told you three times we're having beef stew. <laughs> Anyways. I thought that was funny. I thought that was funny. Oh, yeah. I knew, I knew there would be someone in the crowd be like, that's my husband. And, um, and it was my mom saying that was my dad. Um, going to my parents' house, when you have two parents, I like to throw around the word old. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't feel like old is a derogatory term. I call myself old all the time. At 42, um, I know for some of you, I still am young. And for others of you, I'm still very old. So it just kind of depends on who's talking to me as to the, the, the quantity of my old. But I love going to my parents' house and um, listening to the two of them talk and just seeing how the volume continues to escalate. As both of their hearing goes down, their mouths get louder and louder and louder in the house. And so at some point, we're just all screaming in the house. It's great. Um, so if you would turn with me to Mark chapter 10, verses 6 through 9. We're going to start there today. We're going to start Mark chapter 10. Jesus has a thought on marriage, and so we want to see what Jesus has to say about marriage. And and some of you that have been through um, uh, premarital counseling with me, you may have heard some of these same thoughts that I'm going to share today. If you've ever been to a wedding that I've preached, um, although I try to preach a different message each time, um, some of these same thoughts will come through in a lot of my thoughts on on marriage because it's Jesus' thoughts, and so he's got some good stuff to say. I don't know about you. But I like to hear what Jesus has to say on anything, right? So Mark chapter 10, he's in this conversation with the religious leaders of the time. And what they're trying to do is trap him, right? So they're talking to Jesus about divorce in a way that that will trap him. Because there is two different um, groups of religious leaders at that time. One group was all about divorce. Like they were all for divorce, like divorce for anything. Like if your wife wakes up and has morning breath, divorce her. Like, that was their, literally, that was literally, uh, maybe not morning breath, but literally they just thought anything was grounds for divorce. There was another group of religious leaders, and, and their thought was you only divorce because of unfaithfulness. Like, that would be the only reason. So they were very, they were very pro-marriage. The other one was very pro-divorce. And so here's what they said. They went up to Jesus with both groups present, and they asked him about divorce. Because they knew he's either going to side with one group or the other. And as soon as he sides with one group or the other, we got him trapped somehow, right? And so, so they began asking him a question. And Jesus, as cool as can be, just absolutely destroys their argument. Because Jesus just takes everything back to God's word. And he's like, I don't care what your tradition is. I care about what God says. And so Jesus says in Mark chapter 6, I mean Mark chapter 10, verse 6, 
But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, man will leave his father and mother and become united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. Everybody say one. One. Everybody say one. one. Good, much better. I need you to understand that because today's message is titled, The One, right? The One. We're always looking for, when you're single, you're looking for the one, right? But when you're married, here's the thing. When you're married, sometimes we forget that the one is still somebody valuable we need to be looking for. And so the one isn't just a person. Jesus says it's two people becoming one flesh. Verse 9, therefore what God has joined together, let no one separate. So what I want to do for the first part of this message is I want to talk about the one. I want to talk about what does that mean. We're going to break down each one of these verses and just see exactly what Jesus is talking about. And then at the end of the message, we're going to talk about how to maintain that relationship that we're, that we're talking about, the one relationship. So the first verse that we talked about was verse number six. So we'll go back to verse number six. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. The thing that I like about what Jesus says here is he takes everything back to the beginning of creation. In other words, it is God's original design in his original design is for us to be male and female. In his original design, he designed marriage for a purpose, right? So in, his, so in other words, marriage is not something that man made up. Marriage is not something that's just a social conformity. Marriage is something that God designed for us. I think he designed it for men, honestly, because he knew men could not get through this world by themselves. We struggle a lot of times, men. We need these ladies to help us a lot. And so here's what the Bible says. It says that, that God made marriage. Genesis 2.18, this is what Jesus is referencing. He says, then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. Even God noticed that. He said, I will make a helper fit for him. I'll make a helper fit for him. I'm going to get into this next week. Next week we're going to talk about roles in the marriage. But, but one of the things that, that I like about this is whenever God says a helper fit for him, it, it literally means somebody, it's like a puzzle piece that is missing. That God says in every man there's a piece missing and I'm going to make a helper for that man. A puzzle piece that fits perfectly for that man. In other words, both parties have a role to play in the relationship. God says, I'm taking two halves and making a whole, right? I'm putting two things together here. So I want you to look at verse number seven. Verse number seven, for this reason, man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. How strong is the one relationship? When he says two become one, there is strength in that unity. There's strength in that bond. There's strength in that covenant. How strong is that strength? The the strength is, is so strong. The unity is so strong that it's stronger. The bond of marriage is stronger than the bond of blood. Jesus says you will leave your father and mother and be joined to your wife. So you want to have a good marriage, you need to learn how to leave your father and mother right off the bat. Like, like I get it. You still love them. I still love my folks. Perry still loves her parents. When Perry and I got married, her parents told me, they said, listen, if y'all get in an argument and she tries to come home, just know we're sending her back to you. We're not keeping her. And it's not that her parents don't love her, but her parents understand that the bond of marriage is stronger than the bond of blood. That whenever I marry somebody, I become one with that person. I have to detach myself from my parents. Can I tell you something, folks, with kids in the room today? Or if you're getting married, and, or you are married, and you're a blended family, I'm thankful for Bobby and Michelle, wherever they are. I see their kids. They're somewhere. Um, I'm thankful for them talking about blended marriages the other night at our marriage night. Because this is so important. Whenever you get married, the two of you become one, not your kids. If you're married and the other partner has kids, they are not one with you. You love those kids, but they are not yours. Like, like they're not on your team. Perry and I are on one team. My kids are on another team. G2's back in the back. I love him. Emma's somewhere in the building. I love her. Colt is upstairs. You'll hear him in a minute, I'm sure. But they're not on my team. They're not on my team. Why? Because this bond is closer than that bond. And they can't, if, if I allow it, what happens in a lot of marriages, a lot of marriages struggle because they can't distinguish between kids and, and spouse. 
and they allow kids to get in the way of husband and wife. They allow parents, they can't let go of my mama and daddy. Well, I've got to have my mama, you know, be a part of my... And, and so what happens is, is mama becomes too much a part of life, and all of a sudden, husband and wife can't get together. So Jesus says, the Bible says, that the bond of marriage, that one is bigger, it's stronger than, than parents and kids. The other thing it says there is it says united to his wife. Let, let me just share something with you. The word united there in the Greek means to glue something together to be permanent. Have you ever glued? Remember when you were a little kid and you used to take construction paper and you get the white Elmer's glue, right? Y'all remember white Elmer's glue? Anybody eat the white Elmer's glue? Yes, some of y'all shaking hand. Jesse, obviously. Um, and so you stick the two pieces of construction paper together with the white Elmer's glue, and white Elmer's glue can't stick anything together. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you right now, you can't glue anything together with white Elmer's glue except construction paper, and when you glue construction paper together and you try to pull it apart, what happens? It all rips to shreds, right? You got the red construction paper ripped off, stuck to the blue construction paper. You got pieces of blue construction paper ripped off, stuck to the red construction paper, and there's always something hanging on. This only thing that Elmer's glue was made to glue together was construction paper. It's permanent. Whenever I become one with my spouse, it's permanent. This is God's design. Now, some of you are sitting back and you're like, yeah, but pastor, I'm divorced. And, and listen, we did, a whole, we did a whole thing about divorce last year, and you can go back and listen to that. And, and we understand that, that when, in Christ we're new creatures and it all starts over. But I just need you to hear me right now. The bond of marriage is so strong that whenever I become one with that person, it is intended by God's design for it to be permanent. It is not intended for, for you to get your feelings hurt and say, I want out of this marriage. It is not intended for you to look over and, and you see someone that you think is better looking and I want out of this marriage. That's why I say to singles all the time, you need to be very careful with what you're doing. You want to get married? That's great. I want you to get married. I'll do the wedding for you. It'll be wonderful. It'll be beautiful. We'll have a good time. But you better know what you're getting yourself into. It is a permanent agreement in God's eyes, in God's eyes. Verse 8, and the two will become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. He just keeps hammering the same point over and over and over that it's all about two becoming one. So let's talk about two becoming one. I got a little, a little piece here. The idea of two becoming one in the Greek, the, the thought there was that it was two souls, one body. That's an interesting thought to me, how they, how they viewed marriage. It was, it was two souls, Coming, into, coming together into one body. And, and now we understand that Perry and I obviously are, are two bodies. We get that. But, but the mentality is that marriage, the, the marriage unity is a bond. The marriage unity is the one that we're coming together under. So whenever he says the two become one, he's talking about it becomes its own entity. The way we kind of flesh that out sometimes, Perry and I like to say this, is we like to say our marriage is only 18 years old, Right? We say we we speak of our marriage as though it's its own person. And so we'll tell we'll tell people all the time in counseling or in talking or even whenever we're talking to each other, if we're having an issue, there, there were times in our marriage where we would have issues. And and I would look over to her and I'd say, babe, our marriage is only five years old. What do you expect? Like, what do you expect out of a five year old? I don't expect a lot out of a five year old. Now our marriage can vote like I expect a little bit more out of him. You know what I'm saying? Like. Like, we should be a little bit more mature at 18 than we were at 5. Some of you guys, your marriage is like 30, 40 years old. Like, like, your marriage should be humming right now. And if your marriage isn't moving along right now at 30 years, there's a problem. Why? Be, be, because our growth has been stunted somewhere along the way. Because marriage, the bond of marriage is one. It's an entity all itself. My marriage is a witness. My marriage uh, speaks to other people. Why? It's, it, because it's one. It's two souls coming together, one body, one entity. The thing about it, the thing that he says there is he says, he says the two have to become one. Listen, we, we can't go into marriage and it be all about me. When I go into marriage, I can't take my singleness in with me. She can't bring her singleness in with her. Yeah, but I just got to have my time and I got to have my space and I got to have my fun and my friends and my money and my things. The minute you start talking like that, you have totally voided out this covenant that I've got with my spouse. If it's all about me, then it's not about us. It's not about the one. 
it's got to be about the one. It's always about the one. And so whenever he says the two become one, he's talking about it can't be about me anymore. I've got to leave my out of it. Are there times, Gabriel, whenever, whenever you need your space? Absolutely. There's times when Perry needs her space. There's times when, when I need my space. Yes, but it's not a matter of neglecting her. I, what, what we do in our marriage is we've learned how to recognize that in each other. So, so I learned to recognize that she needs space before she has to tell me that she needs space. And it's in those moments that I say, you know what? I'll cook dinner. I'll clean the house. I'll do something with the kids. If you need time, I'll help you. She does the same thing for me. There's times when she'll say, you know, I'll, I'll do all of these things so that you can. Have, why? Because we, we are looking out for each other. I get that. But the idea of me coming in saying it's all about me is wrong. So whenever I do, some of you guys, I'm going to say something right now. And uh, nope, I'll just wait. I'll save it for later. <laughs> Bobby already made all the men mad. And whenever he did his thing, I don't want to make everybody mad yet. We'll make you mad later. So we're always looking out for what's best for the one. The other thing that I like in that verse is he says that the two will become. He doesn't say the two are immediately. Right? Again, going back to that progress of growth that needs to happen. Your marriage at year one, Tim and Paige are back from their honeymoon. We're so excited for them. Well, these guys are excited for you. Everybody else doesn't care. But we're, the three of us are excited for these guys being back from their honeymoon. And listen, they are on week one. They're in week one of their marriage. Now, I don't know about you, but I got this feeling that if any of you guys that have been married for about 10, 15 years, if you go talk to Tim and Paige, they will tell you exactly how to be married. <laughs> right? They know it all. Right now, they got it together. For the first week, they got it together. But at some point, they're going to realize they don't have it all together. At some point, they're going to realize that we are two individual people trying to become one, and it's not easy. It's not easy. You, I love the amens. And it was just kind of one of those amens. It was like, amen. Like, you can say that again. You know, it's hard. Um, it's very difficult to bring two different people, two different cultures, two different backgrounds, and try to merge them together. It takes a lot of hard work. But listen, it's worth doing. It's worth doing. When you take two metals and beat them together, it makes them stronger, but it ain't easy to get to that point. we got to work on the one. It's a process. The other thing I want to mention here in this same context, whenever he talks about becoming one, yes, he's talking about covenant. Yes, he's talking about marriage. Yes, he's talking about a spiritual connection. He's also talking about a physical connection. He's talking, he's talking about sex as well. That is part of becoming one. And here's the thing. Last week we said that sex outside of the marriage covenant is wrong. We said that because we said it was biblically wrong. The Bible said that. I didn't say it. The Bible said it. But here's why. Let me explain to you why. It's wrong because sex is part of becoming one. Now, if I'm not married and I become one with this person and I become one with this person and I become one with this person, look at all these connections I've got that aren't right, that aren't holy, that aren't within the covenant that God designed. He designed marriage. Love is patient. If I really love that person, I can be patient. I can wait. I can wait for the right person. I can wait on God's person for my life. Here's what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6, 16. And don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her? For the scriptures say the two are united into one. This is very strong and very difficult, but it's very necessary, especially today. If you're not married, you need to hear this. Listen, the Bible says whenever you are joined together as one with someone, you become one in body and spirit. There is a spiritual connection between you and that person. How many times do you want to rip your, your spiritual connections apart? How many times do you want to rip your emotional connections apart every time we sleep around? Listen, if you're considering, um, or if you're watching on, online, if you're considering adultery, if you're considering cheating on your spouse with somebody, let me remind you that the Bible says you and your spouse are one. And if you rip that apart to become one with someone else, in God's eyes, it's jacked up. It's not right. It's not right. You need to think this stuff through. Verse 9, you thought that was the hard part. That was the easy one. Now it's a hard one. 
Verse 9, therefore what God has joined together, let no one separate. A couple of things I want to just point out on this, and then we're going to get to working on the one, and then we'll, I'll shut up. What God has joined together, I want you to notice something. Marriage is not just social, it's not just physical, it's spiritual. What God joins together, what God puts together, your marriage is not just a contract between you and your spouse. It's not just I love you and you love me and we got feelings for each other and we're going to stay together forever. Last night we were watching the Olympics. How many of you guys are watching the Olympics? Anybody watch? Nobody likes the Winter Olympics. Wow. Boring. Their skeleton is the best. If I could do any Olympic sport, it would be skeleton. Y'all don't watch the Winter Olympics, so y'all don't even know or care. But skeleton is awesome. Skeleton, they get on a piece of plastic, and they ride down the ice as fast as they can. They go 80 miles an hour head first down the ice. It's crazy. It's the craziest sport. You've got to watch it. Look it up on YouTube. Skeleton is the best. That has nothing to do with what I'm talking about, though. I just like it. So, so last night, we're watching um, the Olympics. Ice dancing comes on. Now, I'm going to tell you right now. I tune out at ice dancing. I tune out at any kind of figure skating, ice dancing. It's, um, there's not a lot of masculinity in that. I'll just say it like that. Like it's just very um, not fun to watch. And so I would much rather watch some guy hurl himself down the mountain, you know, face first and maybe die. That's the part I love. You know, like, like I watched a chick crash the other night and run up into stuff and and it was awesome. Um, but ice dancing, it's like you're just, the only reason you watch ice dancing is you're just hoping. You're hoping that they fall. Right? You're hoping that the blades on those shoes are so sharp that someone might cut a hand off or something. Like that's what, that's, that's terrible, but that's what Perry does. Um, and so, and so ice dancing comes on and these part, these, these people are ice dancing together and they're doing their little backstory. And the backstory was, is that when they first started ice dancing, they were just friends. They were just buddies, and they were just ice dancing partners. And then all of a sudden, one day, he realized, after 12 years of ice dancing, that he loved her. And he told her that he loved her. And she said, okay. And so then, now they're together, and it shows them together. They're not married, right? Like, there's no covenant, but it shows them together. And there was this super, did anybody watch this? There was this super, no, you already said you didn't watch it. There's this super awkward moment where they, they're talking to them about being a couple and the girl goes, yeah, we're, we're partners for the rest of our lives. Now, they're not married, right? So there's no, real, there's no real covenant. We're partners for the rest of our lives. And then she looks over at the guy, and he's just sitting there. She's like, ah, right? Right? And the guy's like, yeah, 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 forever. Like, we live in this society where it's like, are we together forever? Are we not together forever? Why? Because there's no spiritual bond. Like, we don't view marriage as God made, as God ordained. But the Bible says very clearly what God joins together, let no man separate. This is awesome. This is a great verse. It means that my marriage is God ordained, that God's got his hand on my life. My marriage is spiritual. It's not physical or social. It's spiritual. The other thing about that word join there, and no one's going to like this one, is the word, it literally means in the Greek, yoked together, right? Not yoked like yoked, yoked like the old wooden thing that would strap two um, oxen together. So yes, baby, I'm calling you an ox today, but it's in a good context. And so you take two ox and you put them together and this wooden thing goes across their necks and it ties them together. And here's what happens. Whenever you yoke two ox together, they have to work together. If one of them tries to go another direction, then they're going to get pulled back and it's a constant struggle. And their marriage, their relationship, their work relationship is always a struggle until they learn how to walk together. Until they learn how to go in the same direction. So they learn how to pull at the same speed. When your marriage is young, you don't know how to work together and you're constantly fighting. But hopefully as we grow and mature, we learn how to walk together. So in that, in that yoke, one of the things we talk about all the time is, is something to think about whenever you're getting married. You need to think about your future. What do you want out of life? What does your spouse want out of life? Is there some areas where, where your two desires, your two dreams can merge together, where you guys can go in the same direction? What do you want out of your family? How are we going to work together in our family? How are we going to make this thing operate? What are we going to do? 
What do you want out of your money? This is the one I, I knew was going to get everybody. So we teach, we teach that money goes together. Some people let everybody have their own money. We always do money together, right? We do money together. And, and part of the reason we do money together, this is a little side note, a little help. The part of the reason we do money together is one of the leading causes of divorce is financial problems. I've seen way too many, way too many couples that, that have his money and her money. And what happens is, is she's got to pay these bills and he's got to pay those bills. And then all of a sudden he loses the job. She gets cut back her hours. And now we're in this argument, this disagreement over money, when really we should be working, what, together. So that's my little side note. You don't have to put your money together. That's just what we do. But the idea of being joked, being joked, being yoked together means that we're, it's a joke, is that we are walking together in life. Again, it's another reinforcement that Jesus is making that it's not two separate people doing their own thing under the same roof. It's one person going one direction. All right, let's get done with that. Nobody liked that part. We're going to get to the next part. Now we're going to talk about working on the one. So we've established that the one is very important. The next thing we have to establish is how do we maintain it? Like, it's one thing to have one. It's one thing to be together. And it's great because you'll leave this message today and you'll go home and you'll pray with your spouse and you'll say, how can we get together? Let's pray to be one and we're going to be one and it's going to be great. And then tomorrow you're going to wake up and you're going to be mad about something, right? Tomorrow she's going to have a dream that you cheated on her. And when y'all wake up, you're going to be in trouble for it, right? You didn't do it, but that's what happens. So, um, so how do we maintain it? How do we maintain it? Um, let's read Luke chapter 13, Luke chapter 13, verses 6 and through 9. It says this, this is Jesus speaking, and he told a parable, a man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. This is where we are in some of our marriages, and some of our marriages, we're looking for fruit in the marriage, and we're not finding any, and we're frustrated, and we're aggravated, and we're saying this marriage feels very dead. It feels very dry. I feel like more of a roommate than I do a partner. I feel like I'm doing my own thing and she's doing her own thing and, and, and we're just under the same roof, but we're not operating as one. There's no fruit. And so he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years I've, been, I've come uh, seeking fruit on this fig tree and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And that's where we find ourselves in a lot of places. It's like, I'm so frustrated with my marriage. There's no fruit being produced. Let's just cut it down. Let's just end it. Let's just get out of it. Ah, but here's what the Bible says. Verse 8, and he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put, put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. Here's what Jesus says we have to do. Here's how you work on the one. You got to dig it and you got to dung it. Maggie, dung is manure poop okay so you got to dig it and dung it i'm gonna say that a couple of times i need you to remember this i need you to go home and talk to your wife and, and your husband and you need to say baby we got to dig it and we got to dung it and it's going to sound so stupid but it's going to get in your brain and you're going to remember that we got to dig it and we got to dung it what does it mean to dig it to dig it, he says, i got to dig around the tree. Here's what it means to dig it. Now, I didn't know this. I had to do a little bit of research. I do not have a green thumb, right? Like, when it comes to green thumbs, mine is whatever color is opposite of green thumb, right? Like, like we are very good at our house at killing plants. We can kill all your plants. If you need a plant killed, we're the exterminators. So, um, I know nothing about making a plant live. And, and so, here's what I, here's what I discovered that whenever they would uh, try to really make a, a fig tree grow when they're really working on it, one of the things they would do is they would get out a shovel and they would dig around the base of the tree all the way out to the, um, to the drip line, which is the edge of the branches. They would dig all the grass and weeds and stuff out of that area because, because all the grass and weeds that are growing up around the base of that tree are steady sucking up the nutrients out of the soil that the tree needs to produce fruit. So what we have in our marriages sometimes is we've got a lot of extracurricular things that are steady sucking up the nutrients that we need to make our marriage grow. We can't produce any fruit, but we got all this extra stuff growing up around us, and somebody needs to put their foot down, and they need to, they need to defend and protect their marriage. They need to defend the tree from inside and from invaders coming in, and they need to dig around it. 
I've never understood. I, I'm going to get a little bit soapbox here. Um, and if you, if you were here for our series on Nehemiah and Ezra, we talked about this. If you weren't here, I encourage you to go back and listen to this when we talked about the gates and the walls, the last two messages, because it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to lead into this right here. It all kind of fits together. But, but here's the thing we need to be careful of. What are we watching and listening to within our marriage? What are we watching and listening to? I, I, I just, it, it's very difficult for me to comprehend, and, and I, I'm sorry if I, I'm not trying to step on toes. This is just me personally. Over and over the Bible talks about don't look on a woman with lust in your heart. You commit adultery with her in your heart, right? Uh, Job says, I make a covenant with my eyes not to lust after any woman. And yet, as couples, sometimes we will sit down and we will watch TV shows that have naked people doing things. I would not want my wife to look at a naked man. I don't want her to do that. I don't want her thinking about other men. So why would I put it on my TV screen and sit with her and encourage her to watch it? Ladies, last time I checked, you really don't want your husband to have a porn problem. I don't think you do. If you do, that's a whole other sermon we got to talk about. So why are we sitting down watching naked women on TV and encouraging our husband to look at this woman? I don't know one man strong enough, not one man besides Jesus, now I don't know one man strong enough to look at that woman on TV, look at that woman on the movie screen, and not come home and think about her. I don't know one man. I share my testimony all the time, but the, the, the whole thing about pornography, seeing it when I was six years old, and to this day, I can tell you what I saw. I'm 42. I don't know how many years that is because I can't do math fast, but I know it's a lot. You can't tell me that from the time you watch TV to the time you go to bed that he's not thinking about her. Don't be stupid. Dig the weeds out of your life. Dig the weeds out of your marriage. Yeah, but everybody's watching this show. It's my favorite. Is, is the show more important than your marriage? That's a question we got to ask ourselves. we got to watch who we hang out with. Who are the people we're hanging out with? Who are the people that we're listening to? Who are the people we're getting advice from? If you're a married couple, if you're a young married couple especially, um, you need to think about this one long and hard. Like you got to make sure I'm hanging out with the right people, that I'm putting myself with people that are going to help me, not hurt me. If all I'm doing is hanging out with people that are out, you know, doing their own thing and they're, they're sleeping around and they're cheating and they're doing this, it, it, is that going to help my marriage? Now, can I be a witness to them? Absolutely. Can I tell them about the Lord? Absolutely. But is that what you're doing? Is that what you're doing? Think about what we do with our freedom. Man, I got the freedom to do whatever I want to do. Grace. That's great, man. Have all the grace you want, but you're going to ruin your marriage. You're going to ruin your marriage if you don't dig this junk out of your life. These are areas we got to protect our marriage. I, I, don't, um, I, I don't understand, and I, I work very hard. I'm not perfect. Don't get me wrong. There's still times I mess up with things. But I work really hard. Like, if, if we're watching a show or we're, we're doing something, with the exception of Dateline, that's probably our worst one, right? Like, Dateline, someone's always killing their spouse. And so I'm like, we, like we probably shouldn't watch this. It's giving us way too many ideas. Like, if I get mad at her or she gets mad at me, but... Um, but they always get caught, so that brings us back to reality. But I, I, I'm always very careful. I, I, I say this one, another illustration I use often is, is watching a TV show one time where all the men on the TV show were sleeping around on their wives. They were all committing adultery. And I watched about two episodes, and I thought, you know what? I don't want to feed my marriage this show. This isn't helping me. This isn't helping us if I continue to feed that in to my marriage. So what does that mean for you and your wife watching TV? It means we watch the Winter Olympics. <laughs> Our TV show watching is rather boring. Um, the second thing we got to do, and we'll, we'll get out of that, that dig it 
but that's digging it. Digging it's not one of those things that, I mean, I can sit up here and give you a whole list of things, and at some point it's going to turn into legalism. At some point it's going to turn into Gabriel's list, not God's list. But you need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and see what the Holy Spirit's saying about in your marriage. You need to run through every so often a checklist of the shows we're watching, the movies we're watching, the people we're hanging out with, the activities that we're doing. And are these things helping our marriage or hurting our marriage? If, if, you're, um, if you're a guy and you're, you know, constantly going out with the other guys and y'all are getting drunk and you're going to strip clubs, is that helping your marriage or hurting your marriage? If you're going out, staying out super late and your wife doesn't know where you are and she's worried and she's wondering all the time, is my husband cheating on me? Is he out doing something? If, if you're out, you know, doing things and your husband's at home waiting on you thinking, oh my gosh, what is my wife doing? Is that helping your marriage or hurting your marriage? Are you instilling fear or are you instilling trust? These are just little things that you're going to have to pray about and figure out for yourself. Because it's, it's, it's each his own is how that, some of that stuff works. The second thing we got to do is we got to dung it. So we got to dig it. And Maggie, we got to dung it. Y'all, y'all think I'm being mean to Maggie. I love Maggie. But, but she didn't know what dung was the other day. And I was like, man, that girl doesn't need to dig anything. Like, she is very, like, she is pure as driven snow, apparently. Um, so the first thing we got to do to dung it, dung it just means that I throw manure on it. I throw mulch on it. I throw something on it to help feed the tree, right? And so one of the things we got to do is we got to feed it emotionally. Um, we are three-part beings. We're emotional, we're physical, we're spiritual. i got to feed it emotionally. 1 Thessalonians 5.11. Um, so encourage one another and build each other up just as you are already doing. Uh, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Let us think of ways to motivate one another in acts of love and good works. Let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Listen, we need to constantly be um, communicating and listening to each other, encouraging each other. Uh, We need to create a safe place in our home, in our marriage, to be honest and open with each other. One of the things I hate is... is, uh, When one partner says, I want to just be really honest with you, I want to tell you something, and they open up their heart to them, only to have it turned around back on them. That it's their fault, they're in shame, they're in guilt. Listen, if you're in a relationship with your spouse, you need to create a place in your marriage where you can be just open and honest. You can be open and honest about, listen, I don't like this, or I do like this. And and that way you guys can share with, with each other. You need to learn how to comfort each other in your pain. You need to comfort each other in your pain. You need to promote, compliment, and be grateful. This is something I, I, I want to do uh, way better at, but there's a, there's a couple of spouses in the room, a couple of women in the room. I don't want to just keep pointing out people, but Maggie's like, please point out someone else. Um, I don't want to keep pointing out people, but there are a couple of spouses in the room that if you ever say something about their spouse, they will constantly turn it around into a compliment for their spouse. Constantly. Like, annoyingly so. I'll say one of them is Anna. Anna can talk bad about Jonathan all she wants, but if you talk bad about Jonathan, she will absolutely make an excuse for him. Like she will be like, "No, that's just you know Jonathan's um, the best person ever, and I just love him." And um, I know he ran over that dog, but you know what? The dog really—it was the dog's fault. You know, <laughs> I know they were in a parking lot. I get it, and I know he had to swerve ten feet to hit the dog, but it was because the dog really needed to go to heaven. Like Anna will never let you talk bad about John. And, and I think that's admirable that, that we've got, it's this idea that, hey, I've got to feed my marriage. I've got to feed the one emotionally. I've got to hurry. We need to feed it physically. Feed it physically. The, the emotional and the physical are going to tie together in just a second. So don't, don't feel like I'm, um, you'll get it in just a minute. 1 Corinthians 7, 3 through 5. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. It's a good verse. <laughs> right. The wife. Yeah. Did y'all keep that up there? <laughs> you taking notes, babe? Um, the wife, the wife gives authority over her body to her husband. It just keeps getting better. And the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree, what? 
to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time. I should have read this all the way through. Unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so that you can give yourselves more completely to prayer, afterward you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, I did make that kind of funny, and I did read the whole thing all the way through. But there is a physical need that needs to be met within a marriage. You may not always feel like it, but you need to meet it. It may not always be the, the best timing in the world, but you need to meet it. Why? Because Paul says so. Paul wasn't even married, and, and he knew that this is good stuff. But here's the key. Here's the part that gets me. I get it, man. You should, you should do all those things. You should. But here's the part that gets me is that the last little part says afterwards you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I want you to notice something, that Satan shows up in a dry spell. Satan shows up in a dry spell. When Jesus was in the wilderness and he was hungry, that's when Satan showed up to tempt him. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 13 in the New King James Version, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places looking, seeking rest and finds none. Where does Satan look for places to attack us? In dry areas. When your relationship is dry emotionally, men, if we're not meeting the emotional needs of our spouse, someone else will. If, you're, if your relationship is dry physically, these are areas the Bible says, not Gabriel says, the Bible says that Satan wants to find a tempt and break your marriage apart. Meet the needs. Feed Dung it, right? Meet the needs. Feed it emotionally and, spirit, and physically. And last is we feed it spiritually. Emotionally, physically, spiritually. How do I feed my marriage spiritually? Well, you can definitely pray with each other and pray for each other. Pray with someone and pray for someone. Um, one of the things Perry and I do is we may not be the best at doing like a devotion together. Um, we may not be the best at... at all that. One of the things we try to do very much is we try to pray with each other and for each other. And there are days whenever I, I, I pray with her and we, we lay hands on each other and we pray for each other. There are days when we don't get to do that. And in those days, I try to pray for her on my own. And, and ladies, she prays for me on her own. And here's the cool thing. How do I feed the spiritual side is we let each other know that we're praying for each other. And we let each other know what we're praying for each other. So there's times I'll pray for her, and, and she doesn't know I'm praying for her, so I will let her know, hey, I'll text her, hey, babe, I'm praying today that you have wisdom and creativity at your job. I'm praying today that God opens up doors for you to be a witness to other teachers and parents and students. I'm praying today that, that you will be blessed with rest and peace in your, in your emotions and your mind. Like, these are things that I pray over my wife even when we're not together. And I do pray for her together, but, but that's one way that we feed our lives spiritually is through prayer. Another thing that we do is we, we learn to seek God together. Don't ever get to the place, guys, where, where we just allow one spouse or the other one to be the only one seeking God for direction in your marriage. Should we buy this, this house? Well, you know, I don't know. What do you think? And one spouse says, well, I've been praying about it. And the other spouse says, well, if you prayed about it, then that's it. No. Pray together. Seek God together for direction on your marriage. Another thing you can do is talk about what you're, what you're reading in the Word. I'm loving what's happening in our church right now. Not, not people showing up, but people getting hungry for the Word. That is so cool to me. I get texts every so often of people saying, hey, I read my Bible this week for the first time five days in a row. I, I, read, my, I read this in my Bible. I did this in my Bible. And this is what God's saying. Listen, share that stuff with your spouse. Share it with me, too. I like it. But share it with your spouse. Like, Perry, every so often, will say, babe, here's what I read in the Bible today. And this is what I think God is saying for me or for, for my family or for our kids or whatever the case is. Like, like, we're constantly sharing with each other what we're reading in the Word. Last, last little thing here is we can't be one with our spouse until we learn to be one with Christ. 1 Corinthians 6, 17 but the person who is joined with the Lord is one spirit with him. I want to be one with Perry. I want to grow in that relationship. But I'm not going to be good enough 
on my own. I've got to be one with him first. And when I'm one with him, then, then this relationship works a lot better. I'm going to end today with a quick little story, and then we're going to be done. Uh, C.S. Lewis, my son is reading through the Chronicles of Narnia right now. My youngest son is. And um, I don't know what book he's on, three or four. But uh, there's seven books in the series. And at the very end, the last book, it's called The Final Battle. And, and, um, and, and in that book, it, it shows a glimpse. It's, like, it's kind of like C.S. Lewis's version of the book of Revelation. And so um, it, it shows a glimpse kind of of heaven and hell and, and, in a C.S. Lewis sort of way, a, a fantasy sort of way. And, and in the book, they, they have a, a stable, right? Like, like a stable, like a, a horse stable or whatever. And so, so you, you, at the end of your life, you walk through the doors of the stable. And whenever, whenever you walk through the doors of the stable, um, you, you enter into the afterlife. And so, so the kids that are in the story, they're obviously, um, for our intensive purposes, they're Christians. And so they walk through the door of the stable. When they do, they step into this huge open meadow. And it's just beautiful and flowers and birds and blue skies and it's warm and it's sunny and it's it's awesome but as they walk in they see these these uh dwarves these little dwarves and they're all huddled together and they're all angry and they're all scared and they're full of fear and 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 so so the kids go by and they pick flowers and they walk over to the dwarves to try to to try to tell it find out what's going on with them and and whenever they walk over to the dwarves the dwarves immediately get angry at them and and begin to hiss at them and yell at them and 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 curse them and they're and they're saying why are you bringing that um, that, that stinky mess to us, right? And the kids are like baffled. Like, what? It's a flower, you know? And then God shows up, and, and in the story it's Aslan, he's a lion, and, and he shows up and he, he lays out this huge buffet, this big banquet table full of food, and, and the kids are eating it and they're enjoying it and they're having a great time, but, but whenever the dwarves go to eat it, it tastes terrible in their mouth, and it's, and it's horrible, and it's, it's trash, and it's, it's dung, it's manure, and it's all the things you would find in a stable. And Aslan explains to the kids, he, he says, whenever you step through the door, you see heaven. But whenever they step through the door, for them, it's just a stable. And they're trapped in a dark, dirty, stinky stable for the rest of their lives. And every time they go to eat, what you eat is a, is a cupcake or, or candy or turkey leg or whatever, they eat as stuff off the floor of the stable. That's all they can see and smell and taste. And when I read that little story, I read that little illustration, um, one of the things that stood out to me is whenever we don't have our life right with Christ, our marriage is like living in that stable. That no matter how good something may be, all we see is the stable. All we see is the mess on the floor. All we taste and all we, all we hear and all we smell is the dirty, dingy stable. And we're ready to get out. We're ready to be done with it. And listen, here's the problem. Is you'll get out of that marriage. You'll get out of that relationship. You'll break that covenant. And you'll step into a new one. And all you'll see is a dark, dirty, dingy, stinky stable. Why? Because your life's not right with Christ first. When my life's right with Christ, even when our marriage hasn't been good and we've had our rough times, we were still able to see the good in each other. We were still able to see the good in our relationship. And we still had hope for a future that, yeah, things may be rough right now, but there's hope moving forward. Why? Because of Jesus. Why don't you stand up with me today? When we're in Christ, the Bible says we're new creations. The Bible says we can taste and see that the Lord is good. If you have a bad marriage today, if you have a bad marriage today, let me tell you, there's hope for your marriage. Absolutely. There's absolutely hope for it. I believe God can do a work in each and every one of our lives. But listen, it starts with me. It starts with my heart, not their heart. I'm not going to pray God change Perry. I'm going to pray God change me. Make me more like you. Change my life. Why don't you bow your heads with me this morning? I need to let you go. I want to pray for you. Today, you may be in a relationship that's on the rocks. You may be in a relationship that's that's hurting. Maybe you're in a relationship that's new, and you're just saying, I I really want to, 
to, to be one with my spouse. I really want to work on it. I know it's going to be hard work, just like this shovel isn't easy to use. It's dirty, it's nasty, but you know what? If that's what it takes, if that's what it takes to be one, if that's what it takes to have a fruitful marriage, not a dry, withered up old marriage, I want to have something fruitful, then I'm willing to do the work. But it starts with your heart. So, Lord God, right now, I pray for every person in this room, God, and if we're not serving you, if you're not serving him today, I want you just to pray on your own. I'm not going to come down there and pray with you. I want you to pray. I want you to ask God to do a work in your life. You begin to ask God to forgive you of your sins. God, today, I just ask that you forgive us. Forgive us of our sins. God, today, we don't want to live life on our own anymore. I I, I don't want to go through this life without being connected to you. I want to be one with you before I'm one with anybody else. And so, God, today, I ask that you would make me one with you. I believe that your son died and is the ultimate sacrifice for my sins. And so today I give you my life. I I lay down my selfishness and my pride. And today I turn, I repent of my sins. I don't want to keep doing the same old things anymore. I want to serve you and give you everything that I've got. And so today I pursue you. I'm coming after you. Forgive me of my sins and help me to walk according to your word, not according to what society tells me, not according to my feelings, but according to your word. I ask you to lead me and guide me today. And God, I pray for marriages. Right now, if you're sitting next to your spouse, I want you to hold your spouse's hand for just a second. Even if you're mad at them, even if you had an argument this morning, it's okay. Hold their hand. God, I just pray for these marriages right now. I pray for these relationships, and I pray that you would strengthen them today. I pray that you would give some people the guts today to work on their marriage. I pray today that you would give some people the guts to dig around it and to dung it, God, to to feed that relationship spiritually, physically, emotionally. God, I pray today for each and every marriage, God, that you would begin to, to bind them together. Let them become one. God, they may not feel like they're one right now, but God, I pray for these relationships all over this room and I just ask you God to help them to become one begin that process today in their lives God I pray for the people in this room today that may not have a a, a relationship they may be single today and God I lift them up to you that today they would learn a valuable lesson of how to be picky God how to be choosy God how to how to look for the right person to be one with and not just not just look for any old person So God, today we love you and we praise you for this day. I pray for transformation and blessing over this house. In Jesus' name, amen.